0: Jesus, we thank you, God, for your, um, your love for us. We thank you, God, that you, you gave us your word. You gave us your promises. And everything that we read in your word is perfect and righteous and true and holy, God. It's, it's totally different than the, what this world has to offer. It's everything that we need. It's the very breath to our souls. It's the very oxygen to uh, our spirit. And so, God, we, we now turn to that. Lord, we we ask that it would be alive and and vivid and colorful to our very heart. And Lord, as, as Satan even is attacking us right now and putting thoughts in our mind and distracting us and playing on our emotions, God, I pray you would bring us victory through your word. And we thank you that you always lead your servants in victory. And we we humbly accept and receive your favor in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Today's study is called Bulletproof Vest, Bulletproof Vest. And I was trying to find one so I could show you guys what a Bulletproof Vest looks like, uh, but I failed in that attempt. So our verse today is is Ephesians 6.14, and we've already been in this for one week, but it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So last week, we went pretty in-depth onto what the belt of truth is and how God has a desire to input truth into our lives and that Satan's attacks will always be lies. And so the truth that he is inputting into us through a living relationship with him, through his word, by reading the Bible, how all that works to protect us from Satan's lies. It protects us. Just having your Bible open and reading it somehow protects us from Satan's lies. It gives us an internal source or wellspring of truth just bubbling up. You're like, "I, I can recognize that's a lie. I can recognize that's a lie. When we have the belt of truth on. Well, today he moves on and he says, and you gotta have the breastplate of righteousness. It's a funny thing. People don't like getting shot. Go figure. These days, it's by bullets, but back in the day, it was by arrows. Nobody likes getting shot. It's always something you try to avoid if you can. In fact, in 1997, in America, you had a 1 in 2,317 chance of being shot in your life based on population and the number of gunshot wounds, which I think is incredible. And actually, they, uh, they did a study on where the best place to get shot is. And I don't know why they do these studies, but I love quoting them, and I don't know who volunteers for these studies where the best place to be shot is, but they found that the hand or the foot are the least lethal places to be shot. So there you know. If you're going to get shot, try to, try, try to get it in the hand or foot or something, I don't know. But obviously the worst besides your head is the chest. And the breastplate of righteousness is our protection from getting shot in the chest. Now what are we talking about here? Well, breastplates were usually made of metal. They were made to deflect arrows and later in time bullets and things like that. Um, But it it kind of evolved. Actually, an interesting story is that in 1881, in the city of Tombstone, Arizona, there was a physician named George E. Goodfellow, and he noticed that this guy, Luke Short, was shot by a bullet, but he was saved because he had a silk handkerchief in his pocket. And and that silk handkerchief prevented the bullet from penetrating. So in 1887, he wrote an article titled, The Impenetrability of Silk to Bullets for the Southern California practitioner documented the first known instance of a bulletproof fabric. He experimented with silk vests uh, resembling medieval, uh, you know, breastplates, and uh, he used 18 to 30 layers of silk fabric to protect from penetration. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, In fact, when you get, uh, they they produced these by 1914, and they cost $800, which if you translate to today's money, would be $18,700 for a silk, vest. That was bulletproof. Well, uh, in 1914, uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria, the heir to the throne uh, of Austria-Hungary, was wearing a silk bulletproof vest but, uh, when he was shot in the neck and died. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> Bad example. But a similar, vest, uh, a similar vest made by Polish inventor uh, Jan something, I can't pronounce his name, saved the life of Alfonso VIII of Spain when he was shot by an attacker. And in in the 1900s, a bunch of gangsters actually invested a lot of money in wearing these silk uh, vests. So I thought that was pretty interesting uh, of people trying to protect themselves from bullets with silk vests. Um, So as we get back to our text here, he says, Stand therefore, having having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate covers your heart. That silk vest, that bulletproof vest, it, it covered the heart. And the heart in the Bible is the seat of your emotions, the deepest place where you feel things. And I'm sure you remember when you got that shocking news of a death, or you were betrayed by someone you really loved or really trusted. The deep emotion that you felt was deep down in your chest, or maybe even lower from your stomach, you felt that emotion rise into how how intensely you felt That loss or that betrayal. It's interesting because the vast majority of the 830 times that the heart is mentioned in the Bible, it's speaking of the spiritual reference of, of the seat of your emotions. And in fact, only two or three times out of 830 is it actually talking about the blood beating organ of your heart. But Satan, he's going around and he wants to shoot you in the chest, in the heart. And translating that to our lives today, he wants to attack your emotions and your will. From deep down inside, I'm sure we've all seen someone who's just devastated, who, who, who has no more will to go on, someone who's emotionally just done. They felt totally insufficient, totally broken, totally worthless. They have been shot by Satan's arrow to their heart. But God gives us a perfect defense for this evil attack. Satan's first attack is always the truth, and he gives us the belt for that. Now he's going to attack our emotions, but he gives us a breastplate of righteousness, a bulletproof vest for our emotions, for that deepest part of who we are, our, our hearts. Well, we're going to come back to our emotions in just a minute, but we're going to talk a little bit about the breastplate of righteousness first. See, God's love for us is so complete. It's so equipping that he would give this to us. When we trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are given a gift of righteousness. It's the greatest let's make a deal in history. You guys watch that show? You guys seen that show, Let's Make a Deal? What's behind door number one and door number two? And they're trying to always make these deals. Well, Jesus did the best Let's Make a Deal in history. He offers to take all of our sin and our guilt and our shame and our unrighteousness, all our sin, and in return, he gives us all of his righteousness. And that's what this breastplate of righteousness is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he pulls this big switch. He pulls this big switch. He takes all of our bad and he gives us all of his good. Even the world, when asked uh, about Jesus, they'll say he was a he was a pretty good guy. He was pretty amazing. He was pretty awesome. But that, even that opinion that the world has of him pales in comparison to what God the Father said about him. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? He had lived 30-ish years on the earth. And, and the Father takes time when Jesus was baptized to open heaven and openly proclaim to the entire world This is my son, and guess what? In him, I am well pleased. He is actually making me happy. He is actually doing things right. He pleases me. The very thing that the Jews had been trying to do, the very thing that many people had been trying to do, the world all around, and even the church today tries to do, Jesus had already done. Jesus had already pleased God. And he offers, Jesus offers in this great switch, he offers to give us credit for all the good that he did in exchange for all the bad that we have done, which is everything. And this is called imputed righteousness, a very important term to understand, imputed righteousness or imputing righteousness to someone. It's not something I've done. It's not something I can do. It's not something required for me to attain by my efforts. It's something done to me. And the breastplate of righteousness is something that's done to me. It's something that God has done for me. It's like, think about it like a bank account. I used to have an overdrawn bank account spiritually. I wrote some bad checks. And so my bank account was negative million dollars. I mean, just something I'd never be able to pay in my entire life. And so I come to God and I say, God, would you forgive me? And Jesus, by what you've done, would you, would you take my bad? And he says, you bet. And I'm going to give you something more. Check it out. And so I go to my ATM and I type in my password, which I'm not going to tell you, and I check the balance. And instead of my $1 million, dollars, I now have $10 bazillion in my account. In my account. Not for anyone, for me. For me. I would, that is the, that is an amazing exchange. These are the riches of Christ that have been given to us. A bazillion dollars. When we had nothing, when we had less than nothing, he gives it to us. So how rich was Jesus in righteousness? How can he afford to give all that righteousness to me? How much did he have to give? If he put a bazillion dollars in my account, what's he doing in your account? Well, the fact is that he was so righteous that he has this reservoir of righteousness that he can share and give to all of mankind, if they would ask. His life was so righteous, was so perfect, and in fact, there's two ways that it was perfect. And the first way was called, is called active righteousness. It's everything that he did, everything he was called to do, everything he was asked to do, he did it. If he was called to heal someone, he healed them. If he called to love someone, he loved them. It was active. It was the things he actually did. And then there's something called passive righteousness. And Jesus was perfect in passive righteousness too, which is everything that was done to him, his reactions to those things. Not just how he physically reacted, but in his heart. How righteous was he? He had all this. And so what this did is he has all this righteousness that he can give. And he wants to give it. He loves to give it. He perfectly submitted to the Father's will, and so he has all this righteousness to give us. So the next question is, how much do I need? If he's putting a bazillion dollars in my account, well, how much do I, do I really need? I mean, I was only negative by a million dollars, so I just need to get it back up to zero? Is that what God's asking? Well, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, there's a really powerful and convicting verse, a really troublesome verse actually for us. And it says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. This is an incredible verse. And that word, the word that's translated filthy rags there, I'm not going to tell you what it means. I'm trying to keep it PG-13 in here. But the Bible sometimes is rated R, okay? And this, these words, you're just going to have to go look them up for yourself if you'd like to know what the Hebrew is actually talking about. And I'll leave you to do that on your own. But basically, it's gross. It's bad. And that's how it says our righteousness is what it gains for us. That means all the good things that you think you're doing. You go out in the street today and you ask people, are you a good person? And they'll say, sure, I'm a good person. They may have no relationship with God. They don't think anything about Jesus, but they'll say they're a good person. Why? Because they've done some good things. I, just last week, I helped an old lady across the street. I didn't cheat on my taxes. One was active righteousness, one's passive righteousness. But God says... All of those things are filthy rags to him. And that's offensive to people, you know that? They don't like to hear that. They're like, wait a second, are you saying all those good things I did are worthless to God? But why do I want to serve a God like that? Well, you don't understand. God is so perfect that your sins have marred your righteous acts. They have have disgusted them. They have dirtied them. They have caused them to be soiled. And so your righteous acts are like filthy rags now. Yes, they're there, but they're not doing the job. So how much do we need, God? Well, no human ever, none of us, no one, zero people are good enough for God. And when we die, he will judge everyone by his standards. Not our standards, his, which are high and holy and perfect. That's just the way it is. He's even explained his standards to us in the Ten Commandments. So there's no confusion. You'll say, hey, remember those? Yeah, you didn't keep them. And Jesus comes along and he explains it even further. In Matthew chapter 5, the law is is not only going to judge your outward conformity, Jesus says, but it's going to judge your inward heart conformity. He says, you've heard it said you can't murder but what the law is really saying, the, ju- the standard you're really going to be judged by, is not just the outward. Oh, you didn't pull the trigger, but the inward. Did you hate that person? Did you? D- would you like to see them dead? And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not just the outward, but it's the inward that we're going to be judged by. Did you ever even consider sinning? Did you ever think how nice it would be to be able to hate someone or be mean to someone or trip someone? Any of those things? That's the judgment. But Jesus says the standard is to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect in Matthew 5.48. That's his summary of the law, is to be perfect. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And none of us are doing that. We can't. It's impossible with our flesh. We can't do that. So he gives us what we don't have. He chooses to impute this righteousness to us. In his love, he gives us all this perfect righteousness when we believe and trust in Jesus Christ. When we look at our life and say, I have failed, I have sinned, I am a sinner. But Jesus, you died on the cross for me and you give me now your righteousness. Impute it to me, you give it to me then we receive his gift of righteousness. He gives it to us in standing, which means we're justified, just as if we never sinned. When he looks at us, he sees us as righteous, but not only just in standing, he also gives us a new ability to see those works in our lives, to love God, to love others, to walk righteously. He gives us that ability through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's called living by the new covenant of grace. It's never been by trying. It's always been by grace. But as Paul says in Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Apart from trying to be justified, God just gives you justification. And apart from trying to live a godly life after you become a Christian, he just gives you a life that just is producing fruit, a life that is naturally following God, naturally doing the things of God by grace. By grace. He says, the righteousness of God apart from law is revealed, being witnessed to by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So when you decide to believe in Jesus, you're given this breastplate of righteousness. And it's perfect, it's a gift. It's a gift, not a paycheck, it's a gift. Your boss doesn't give you gifts, does he? Maybe he does if he's creepy, but he's, he gives you what you've earned, a paycheck. It's not the way grace works. It's not the way God works. That, that's how the law worked, but we have a new covenant where God gives us a gift of righteousness given to those who work for it. No, who deserve it. No, who believe, who believe and who ask well, get this. It's free. It's not earned. Your boss isn't giving you paychecks for free. It's different than bosses and earning and wages. It's, it's free. It's asked for and received. It, it's received and not expected. It's received. We don't just expect, yes, God's going to give me righteousness because I was born in America and I'm white. So God better give me... No, it's not how it works. It's asked for. It's it's received. It's easy. It's not complicated. The law is complicated. Trying to earn your way, trying to please God, trying to do that one thing just a little bit harder to make your life succeed, that's working by the law. And it's complicated. It's difficult. Jesus is actually fairly simple. In fact, Jesus said it's it's so easy a child can understand it. In fact, you need to be a little bit more like them, Jesus said. Understand. Understand it's easy. It's Jesus and not us. It's Jesus and not us. By having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, we can be seen as sinless as Jesus is sinless. It is not therefore our perfection, but it's his. When God looks at a Christian, he sees holiness, perfection, and righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, we can say with confidence, I am sinless because I am in Christ and Jesus is sinless. Wow. Even though practically we know that's not the truth. We don't deserve it. But it's free, it's simple, it's Jesus being in him. So let's bring back this breastplate of what we're talking about here. How does this gift act like a breastplate for our hearts? How does this imputed righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness, this, this work that Jesus has done for us, how does it act as a protection for our heart or our emotions? How does that work? It's a great question. Chuck Smith said, It's very important that we not put on the breastplate of righteousness predicated on our works because Satan would be able to penetrate it with ease. So easy for Satan to say, You're not that good. Your righteousness doesn't measure up. Why? Because our righteousness doesn't measure up. We're not good enough. That's not the breastplate we're supposed to put on, though. We're putting on Jesus. In 1 John 1, 1.9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, what? From all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our ability to be cleansed, by a living relationship with Jesus Christ, is the key to putting on the breastplate of righteousness every day. Last week we were talking about putting on the belt. How did we put on the belt? We were in the word, right? We let the word of truth and the spirit of truth just fill us inside with truth. How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? He says here we confess our sins. We confess that it's not our righteousness, that we have no righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We just live in a state of continually saying, I don't measure up, but God, you do. You're so perfect, Jesus. You're so good, Jesus. And somehow, you flooded my bank account with all that goodness. And I love it and I'm thankful for it, but God, I confess my sin. I confess my sin. First John 1 John 1.9, again, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Which means, you know what? You know what that means? It means, if you confess your sins, God will forgive you. He will give you righteousness, and he can't not do that. Why? Because he would be unrighteous to not forgive you. He would be unrighteous. And can God be unrighteous? Can God be unrighteous? No, he can't. So if we confess, God has given his unchanging word, I will forgive you. I promise you, I will forgive you. How do I know you're telling the truth? Look at my son on the cross. I'm not going to punish for the same sins twice. I punished him for your sins. I'm not going to punish you too if you confess them to me. If you receive and put on that righteous, righteous breastplate, put it on, see it for yourself. Satan is going to try to get you to feel bad about your sins and to, so that you stay away from Jesus. This is the strategy of Satan. And this is a big one, guys. This is a big one. He tries to get you to feel bad about your sins. That's not confession. Confession is being open and honest. Satan says, you should feel bad. Jesus says, confess them. Be open. Bring them to me. Satan says, hide them. Don't take them. To- Jesus is going to be upset with you. God's going to be mad at you. And Satan is so good at this strategy. He gets me, he gets you, he gets all of us with this. When we're wearing our righteousness, when we're thinking to ourselves, I should have done better. I should have done better. What you're doing is you're putting on your own blessed plate of righteousness. But when you say, I just confess it. I just confess it. I have no righteousness. I don't have it in me then you're able to slip on his righteousness. And Satan cannot penetrate that. If you wanna, He wants you, Satan, to live in a place where you doubt your righteousness. Are you really forgiven, he'll say? Am I really accepted by God right now? I just did this. Am I really accepted by God still? Or do I need to go through a time of separation from God? Do I need to kind of have a cooling off period between me and God? Or can I sin and immediately turn to God? Or is he going to just say, what, you just did this, lightning bolt on you. I just cussed. I just sinned. Can I march right into his presence? Or is he going to smite me? But when we remember and believe that Jesus has given, given Given us his righteousness, we're not able to be affected by Satan's attack on our heart and our emotions. What were all those attacks? Satan's saying, you don't deserve. You should feel bad about your sins. You should feel bad about how, how unrighteous you are. You should feel bad about your failures. And Jesus says, just confess them. Just confess it and I'll fill you up with good. I'll fill you up with my good, my righteousness. But Satan, he's going to keep attacking in the area of our emotions and our feelings. He'll get you to, he'll get you to say, I'm not saved by my feelings. Or The, the first thing he attacks is, is your salvation by feelings. You know, I may feel horrible, but that does not mean that I'm not saved. And a person can feel happy, and it doesn't mean that they're saved. I'm not saved by some emotional experience. I can have a strong emotional experience and still not be saved. I may feel no emotions at all, and you still may be saved. And I'm, uh, I, See, we are saved by faith in the death of Jesus Christ as being sufficient to atone for my sins. That's how we're saved. And what keeps us in this place of victory is confession of sins. It's what keeps us there. God had no intention of saving you and then sending you off on your own. He doesn't expect you to be walking as a baby. That would be cruel, right? We have this little baby, just comes into our house, and we send him off and throw him across the carpet and expect him to just be running. That's cruelty, right? And our God, our Father, is not like that. He expects us to learn and to grow in his grace so that we can walk. And every time that we fall, it's confession that gets us walking in the right direction again. He does, we got to keep confessing, guys. we got to keep confessing. we got to keep saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. You're right, you're righteous, you're righteous. I'm not, you're good, I'm not, more of you, less of me. We got to keep doing that. Why? Because God doesn't get bored with giving forgiveness. He doesn't get bored. In fact, he doesn't get angry when you confess. Why? Because you're doing exactly what he told you to do. That's how he said he wants to do this. Your sin has already been washed away. There's nothing that keeps you from your loving Heavenly Father anymore. So just confess it because confession puts that breastplate on. And Satan is gonna be attacking your emotions. It's to protect our emotions, guys. It's to protect our hearts, is why we gotta keep confessing. Keep putting yourself down and down and down so that his righteousness can lift you up. Lift you up, up. But Satan loves to lie and tell us the opposite. Jesus regrets saving you. When Jesus says, My gifts and my callings are without repentance. I don't regret anything. You're not good enough for God. Jesus says, you weren't ever good enough, but I love you beyond what you're worth. I love you so much. God wants us to live in the light and in the truth, and when we sin, it's our flesh, it's wrong, it's death, but it's been redeemed, it's forgiven. Confession gets it out of the way from our relationship with God. So awesome confession. Satan wants you to feel bad and to hide it, to get hard and dig in your heels and try harder next time. And Jesus wants you to lift up your eyes and come to him, to view his self-declaring love for you on the cross and experience the effective cleansing that comes from it. He wants that from you. He wants you to experience it. And as you remain with him, as you abide in him, your spirit grows stronger and the flesh is crucified. As Paul describes it like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Satan wants you stuck when you sin. Jesus wants you free to confess it in faith. When you get stuck in a sin, when you are in that place where sin just has you, and you're like, why did I do that again? That's where Satan wants you to just be like, I don't know what to do. And God wants you free to just confess it and say, God, I have sinned, my flesh is wrong. And in that process of you confessing, you know what you're doing? You're nailing your flesh on the cross. And your flesh is like, ow, that hurts. And you're like, I don't care because I love Jesus. And Jesus loves me. And I'm going to do what he's asked, which is to confess it to him. And he's going to set me free. Dang flesh. Kind of schizophrenic, but it works. Turn, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 with me. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. It hurts your heart to be accused of something. You guys ever been accused of something that wasn't true? You guys ever been accused of something that was true? Both of them hurt your heart. They hurt. I get it. But the bulletproof vest that we've been given, it protects us against that. It protects our hearts. Let's look at how Satan does this in a very practical way, okay? This is kind of complex, but I want you guys to just go there with me. We're, we, I don't want us to be accused of being shallow. We're going to go deep, okay? We're going to get in there and see what God would have for us today and to see what Satan would do. Because in Hebrews 10.26, check this out. It says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So you read that verse and you're like, all right, why are we going there? What's going on here? Well, get this. Once we accept the gift of... Of Jesus righteousness once you're saved once you say I need you Jesus and I need your righteousness on my account you can't go back you can't go back it's gonna be bad news if you go back go back to what go back to what go back to your own righteousness your own performance to the law. You can't go back, guys. You can't before people tried to, to please God by sacrifices and offerings. That's how a relationship with God worked in the Old Testament. It was an attempt to please God. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is once you've come to know Jesus and his gift, there you can't go back to that old system. Not only is it like impossible and doesn't make sense, but it's extremely offensive to God. Extremely. It's bad news. You know, they, the people who are living in this life, this relationship with God that's predicated on them being sorry enough to Him forgive them or their actions of, I tried really hard, God, they are trying to make it up to God. They're saying to God, I don't care about Jesus' sacrifice. Ha, look at my sacrifice. Look at what I'm doing, God. I'm trying so hard to please you. I'm trying so hard to, do, don't you see my efforts? And God is like, are you kidding me? Look at Jesus on the cross, that's the efforts I respect. He's the one who pleases me. You and your efforts just aren't good enough. But you, did you see how hard I tried? Yeah. It was filthy rags, it was filthy rags. You can't go back, you can't go back. Hebrews teaches us we can't do that. It's Jesus or nothing, his sacrifice or just get out. That's what he says, his sacrifice or nothing. He warns against someone trying to go back to the law as a way of relating to God. Don't go back. And if, in case you're just wondering, well, is that, what, what, what is the sin he's talking about here? And he tells us in verse 29. In there, he says, it describes the sin that brings this fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. What is that sin? Verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose he will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? and counted the blood of the covenant which, by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. Satan wants you to leave your relationship with God behind and go back to how it was, where you're trying to prove yourself to God, prove yourself to God, even after you've already accepted his gift of righteousness, even after you've already been saved. He wants you to go back, and the author of Hebrews is saying, are you kidding me? Don't you realize how horribly offensive that is to God? Three ways. Three ways. He destroys that idea of going back to my efforts. Three ways. Number one, he says, you trampled the Son of God underfoot. It's like trying to step up to get higher. Last night we were having a leaders meeting and we had babies crawling all around. And one baby was on his tummy on the ground and Caleb Taylor... He steps on his back to get up a little higher, to get up on something. And the baby's like, ah. Because Caleb is fat, man. He's a heavy baby. And they're proud of it. But (laughs) they're going to like that on the recording. And that's what we do to Jesus when we go back to the law as a way of relating to God, as a way of trying to please God. We're like stepping on his back because our pride won't let us get low. And we won't ask for his grace and forgiveness. We're just trying to step on him. And and the author of Hebrews is like, what? This is Jesus, the most holy, righteous, loving person in history. And you're going to do what to him? You won't humble yourself to get under him and receive his righteousness? You want to try to step over him? God, I got this. I got this. Let let me show you how I got this. And God's like, no, no. And then he says, "You, you counted the blood of the covenant by which you was sanctified a common thing. Oh, the blood of Jesus is not good enough for you? The blood of my son who spilled it willingly for you when you hated him? That's not good enough for your daily relationship with God? Your daily sufficiency? Oh, I'm sorry. Now you're making me mad. That's why his language is so vivid and colorful and powerful, saying there's going to be fearful expectation of judgment. That's you're not make pleasing God. When you're not understanding the cost of the blood of Jesus. The cost was so huge and powerful his blood is no common blood. It's no small price. It's no ineffective thing. It can work. It can heal. It can save. It can. But when we say, I don't, I don't need you right now. This morning, I got this. Oh, so offensive to God. And the third thing is, we insult the spirit of grace. It, it, it's Imagine you're... you're mind stretching your hand out to someone who's hanging off a cliff into a volcano with the ring of power falling no, uh, and they instead of taking your hand to help them up, they spit in your face you're putting your life in peril to offer them a hand and you insult them that's what we do When we reject Jesus' way of living by grace, living by his righteousness, putting on his righteousness instead of our own, that's what we do. And the Spirit is continually leading us and prompting us to trust in Jesus, this Spirit of grace. And we refuse. When we do, we insult him. We sin willfully, as the Scripture told us. And Satan wants you to trust in yourself, in your ability, in your efforts to keep the law, to live by the law, to ignore the righteousness Jesus has already given you. To say, Jesus, I don't need you. I got this. I'm an independent man. I'm an independent woman. And the spirit is saying, no, don't do that. Be dependent on me. Be dependent on me. But you have the choice to depart from God, the living God and his grace. And when I talk to people who do this, I'm tempted to be kind of facetious and say, tell me how that goes for you. I talk to people and they're like, you know what, you just, you don't get it. I have to, I have to put my efforts in. I have to try so hard. And I say, tell me how that goes for you. I, I want to sometimes. Sometimes I do say it. But the truth is that Hebrews just told me what the outcome of that is going to be. Punishment. Punishment. That's what trusting in Satan's lies gets us destruction. Failure. Anyone who tries to be a good Christian will fail. But those who abide in Christ will just be. They'll just be. And you'll see the fruits in their life and in fact they're freed from the law it's just a freedom they have and they say oh i failed again oh i'm so fleshly god i confess it and he says great here's my grace i'll empower you you have a living relationship with god it works people but satan he gets his lies into our lives by feelings that's why last week we talked about the truth and putting on the belt of truth and being in the word is all his lies so you can differentiate and the way he's getting those lies in is through these arrows of into our heart through our feelings because we believe our feelings for some reason i feel like i'm in love with this person the way he sings just makes me feel so in love or i don't feel forgiven but that's a lie from satan I don't feel like Jesus loves me anymore. I don't feel like I need to read my Bible. I don't feel like I can please God. I don't feel like I can love because of the circumstances in my life or because of the actions of that other person. I don't feel like Jesus is with me in this area of my life or that area of my life. But the breastplate of righteousness protects us each and from each and every one of those feelings, which are gateways to lies Young believers often need to hear this, that you can't trust your feelings more than you trust the word of Jesus. Young believers often struggle with that. But old believers always need the reminder as well that their feelings may be strong, but they're not always correct. We must always remember where our righteousness comes from. Feelings come and go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. When you feel angry, when you feel depressed, when you feel confused, when you feel helpless or indifferent, afraid, hurt, or sad, Satan has an arrow with each one of those written on it. And he's got you. He's got it sticking in you. And what do we do? We confess it. Because Jesus has your name, your heart, written on his scarred hands. Jesus has his hands there. This breastplate, I want you to see it as Jesus' hands covering your heart. And your relationship with Him, living, vibrant, full of confession, and full of His grace and power in your life. And I'm telling you that the arrows of Satan will bounce harmlessly off of His glorious hands. They will pose no struggle for you. And your heart will be so steady, consistent, when every day it's, I'm a sinner. I've sinned so much. God, I need you. I need your righteousness. Fill me, Lord. I trust you. I believe in you. Then we have freedom. Our emotions are protected by the breastplate of righteousness, the bulletproof vest. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Do not forget the the Saeed postcards to... Our our president, Obama, let him know that we would like Saeed freed. Check out the information booth. Oh, there's another resource at the information booth I forgot to tell you about. It's a how-to-do devotion little booklet my friend, Pastor Aaron at Calvary Aurora, wrote. It's a really great uh, help. So if you've been struggling with your devotions, just spending time with Jesus, Pick up one of those, read it, tell me how it, how it affected your life. On our website, there's lots of uh, past studies that we try to do a featured study every week. Take a listen to one of those and see w- something that we've studied in the past. Let us know. There's comment sections on the website. Let us know how that's doing for you. Um, check out an anchor group. If you're not going to an anchor group, go because they're totally awesome, and uh, they will uh, bless you tremendously. So we're going to pray. The worship team's going to come up and lead us in another song here. Um, and I want to tell you that Jesus loves you so much and if you have never come to the point where, where you look at the cross and you say, that was for me. That was my sin hanging up there on the cross. Um, today is the day for you to call upon the Lord and be saved. Just say, I believe that and I accept it. Let's all pray. Jesus I pray that the, the message of this study, that your breastplate of righteousness would be in effect in our lives. It would be effective. It would be useful. And your blood that poured out on the cross would cover each one of the hearts in this room. And Lord, that each one of us would be protected from Satan's lies. And Jesus, I pray for each one of those that would make the choice to call upon your name. And they would ask you to save them Lord, that you would hear them and and do that. And so if you would like to make that choice, just kind of pray a prayer like I'll lead you right now. Just Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you paid the price that I could never pay by my efforts. And Jesus, I repent of my efforts. I repent of my unrighteousness and I turn to you. I only want your forgiveness. I only want your grace. And Jesus Christ, accept me because of your love. Father, receive me because of what Jesus did for me. I take this with my heart, my whole heart. I take it as my own because you offer it, so I receive it. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.